Amanda, remember that time you thought we were done with Henry VIII? that time in historical podcast i'm your host amanda webb and i'm your host anna webb and this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all their favorite moments in history and you guys i'm back on my bs we don't curse on this channel (laughs) on this podcast but i'm back on it i'm here with another royal today let's go excellent we're back (laughs) at it um, for those who might not know, you guys, I'm so, if this is your first time joining us, I'm very into like the Tudors and generally speaking, European royalty. Um, and yeah, so there's like, this is going to be a lot. I feel like there are going to be a lot of like throwback references in this episode because today we're talking about Mary, Queen of Scots. And Excellent. so there are a lot of relations obviously to the tutors and they are very intertwined in this story and again if this is your first time joining us then you might not know we have done episodes on all of the tutor all of henry the eighth's wives plus his children plus him so <laughs> um yeah so we might be making some references today <laughs> back to our old episodes might be a, you might want to do play some catch up before this episode. You don't need to, but you might want no, to. No, you don't need to, but yeah, you might want to. <laughs> um, but before we get into talking about Mary, would you like a drink update? Yes. I'm having some red wine today. It feels appropriate to have red wine when we talk about the royals, I feel. Absolutely. I'm having some water. Mm-hmm. Same old, same old. Um. So the wine that I poured was like what was left of the bottle I ha- just had open in my fridge. And there wasn't that much left in it. So I poured it and I was like, well, I'm going to drink that in like minutes because it's literally like three gulps. (laughs) So I do have a second bottle sitting here open, ready to go. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I just was like, I'm going to be done with it. I'm going to want to sip on a little bit more than the, you know, like three drinks that are in my glass. Uh And I don't have to stop the recording and go get up. So you might have to cut out some background noise of me pouring wine. <laughs> I'll try not to make noise. Oh, boy. So off to a real good start today, y'all. Let's do it. Let's do it. There's a lot of information here. I'm going to try not to make this like a crazy long episode, but there's a lot that we have to talk about in relation to Mary to be able to get her full story. So Sure. We got to do a little bit of setup. Yeah. So, ready? Yeah. Okay. Let's, I'm, I, let's buckle in. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. So, Mary Stewart is born on December 8th, 1542. Um, Just a quick pause. It's so funny to me because when we do, like, um, people who have lived more recently, we usually have, like, a list of their parents and where they were born. But with these royals, it's always just like, this. Is, we're not even 100% on the date sometimes. It yeah, just makes me we, laugh. We do have the date of her birth. We, I, actually, there is someone we'll talk about later that we don't have. Excellent. Anyway, I just thought that was funny. Continue. It is funny. Okay, so we are going to talk about her parents for a minute here. Cause okay. I'm going to give like a little bit of background about them because there are some important things happening. Okay. 
So, Mary's father is James V of Scotland. James is the nephew of Henry VIII. Right. So, James's mother is Henry's older sister, Margaret Tudor. So, she is a Tudor, essentially. She's in the Tudor lineage, Mm -hmm. Mary. Just one of the offshoots. (laughs) Yeah. One of the side quests to the Tudors. Yeah. James had actually been married once before he married Mary Stewart's mother. Um, He had been married to Madeline of France, who um, died like six months after their wedding of tuberculosis. Oh, bummer. So it didn't last very long. Um, So then sometime after this, James marries... Mary's mother. We're saying the word Mary a lot here. I'm so sorry. She marries Mary's mother, who is Mary's also Mac's named Mary Mac. Mary. Me. Yeah, her name is also Mary. Oh Mary my god. Marquise. Um, she is also French, um, and she is widowed, um, and she's like about 21, I think, at the time of her marriage to James V, um, and. <laughs> Henry VIII had also proposed marriage to Mary of Guise. Um, This was after Henry's second marriage, which we all know how that ended, Anne Boleyn. Uh Uh Yikes. Um, And there are a couple reasons he proposed to Mary of Guise, right? He proposes because, A, he wants Scotland, and he, more than anything, wants to prevent the alliance between Scotland and France. Okay. Um, that's a very strong Catholic alliance. Uh-huh. Um, and we all know at this point, because it's after the Anne Boleyn marriage, that Henry has said bye-bye to the Catholic Church in England. Right. Um, the other reason is that Mary of Guise had already produced a male heir for her line. So she already had a son before her second marriage, and we all know how badly Henry VIII wanted a son, so that was probably another reason. But also it's like, just because she's had one boy doesn't mean she'll ever have another one. (laughs) I know, right? They didn't know that then, but still. Well, no. Yeah. But the king of France at the time is like, nope, not interested in you marrying her, Henry. What I'm going to approve is the marriage to James V of Scotland. So they get married, James and Mary of Guise, and they have two sons, James, the Duke of Rothsay, and Robert, the Duke of Albany. Now, this is weird because Robert gets baptized on uh april 21st or around april 21st and he dies on april 21st and his brother james dies 14 hours after him Uh oh so she loses both of her male sons in literally a single day what happened i don't know so there's babies they were both babies um, there are some theories, like, at this point in his life, James V is, like, pretty paranoid that the, um, nobles in Scotland are trying to basically conspire with England behind his back, and- Oh, he's having his so, Macbeth moment. Absolutely. Uh, his whole life is a Macbeth moment, basically. Uh-huh. But, um, so there are some theories, like, some people think that possibly the children were poisoned, because now they have two sons and they need to take them both out, you know? Right. Um, But I don't know. We don't know really what happened. Wow. It's hard to say. 
So after they lose their two boys, they have Mary. And Mary, Mary Stewart, becomes the only legitimate heir of James V. James does, by the way, have seven illegitimate sons. Oh, wow. And we're going to talk in depth about one of them later. But um, she's the only one who can inherit. Okay. Okay. So around the time of Mary's birth, Scotland is involved in a conflict with England, right? As per usual. Classic Scotland-England stuff. Mm -hmm. And around the time she's born... Um, James has just lost the Battle of Solway Moss pretty badly. He's not doing great mm-hmm. mentally. He had also gotten a little bit sick, like he got a cold and then he had a high fever and he had to be taken off the front lines and all this stuff. So he's not doing well. Mary is born. And then on December 14th, 1542, when Mary is six days old, James V dies. Good. Great. So that makes her queen of scotland at six days old cool 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 (laughs) so (laughs) natch uh we get a regent because right of course she's six days old there almost wasn't an heir based uh, timing wise yes (laughs) yes it was cutting it pretty close oof so let's talk about the regency a little bit here oh boy so we've already established that the family, the ruling family, is Catholic in Scotland at this time. So there are a couple of people who have, like, a claim to the regency, right, um, who want to control things while she is still a literal baby. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is the Catholic Cardinal Beaton. And then the other one is the Protestant Earl of Aran, who was in line in the succession. Mm-hmm. Um, but Beaton claims that actually I have a stronger claim because of a version of the king's will that exists that says, yo, it's me. Okay. But a lot of his opponents are like, no, no, no. There's no way to claim that that's real. Sorry about it. So the Earl of Aran takes the throne. I don't, I don't know if I'm saying that word right, but it is what it is. I think it's Aaron, maybe. Maybe it's Aaron. I... Okay, we'll go with Aaron. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, So he becomes regent. Eventually, Mary's mother gets her, gets to become regent. She, like, gains power of it. But it's, like, a little bit of a road to get there. Mm -hmm. So while the Earl of Aaron is regent, Henry VIII is like, great, this is a really good opportunity for me. (laughs) And what I am going to do is propose that little baby you know, day, day old, week old Mary become engaged to my son, Edward, because he has a son by this point, right? Oh, oh boy. From um, Jane Seymour. So on July 4th, 1543, the Treaty of Greenwich is signed. And this treaty promises that at the age of 10, Mary, Mary Stuart will marry Edward and will move to England where Henry will oversee her upbringing because that's what you did then so she's 10 yeah because at this point there is a protestant as regent so he's all for it right but at this 
at this time, Cardinal Beaton is starting to get a little bit more support. He's gaining a little bit more power from the Catholics in Scotland. And he starts really pushing more of a pro-French agenda because that was the plan. Right. <laughs> Initially. Um, so he wants to move Mary away from the coast to a safer place, which would be Stirling Castle. Um, Aaron resists it, but eventually backs down because Beaton's, Beaton basically brings an army and is like, mm, this is going to happen. So Mary and her mother are moved to Stirling Castle on September 9th, 1543. And while she is there, Mary Stuart is crowned in the chapel. Okay. And they have to hold her little baby head up because she is not even, <laughs> she's a baby. She's a baby. Good Lord. It's just, it's this like, all of these adults being like, you know, doing all of their political garbage and then all of these kids who are going to take over and them just being like, oh yeah, they are just like us. You know how like old paintings would paint babies with human adult faces? It's that. Like that's how they see the children. And it's like, they don't have, like they don't have full thoughts yet. (laughs) And you're like, that person is the queen of this country. It is. And and at 10 years old, she will be married so that she can then continue to be in charge. Like that is wild. It's weird. It's wild. So, Mary is crowned, right? And around the time of the coronation of the, you know, baby. Of the one, of the not even one year old. (laughs) Henry VIII has arrested a bunch of Scottish merchants that were on their way to France and he has impounded all their goods. And this makes the people of Scotland very angry and suddenly cardinal beaton has the most support and do you know who else joins him the earl of Arran. he's like i'm in we're good now and now they're mad at england and they don't want to be protestant anymore exactly well it's not that they don't want to be protestant it's that they don't want to be protestant on england's terms right Right? okay sure so they tear up the treaty of greenwich basically they're like nope forget it the parliament of scotland is like That's not happening. And they start working toward renewing the alliance with France. Um, This prompts the conflict that is referred to as Henry's rough wooing. Because he starts a military campaign to basically invade Scotland, right? Because Uh he wants Mary to be married to his son, Edward. Good Lord. So this is a lot going on for a, you know baby's life yeah. at this point yeah she's like not only barely involved in the story yet <laughs> i know she's basically just being moved which is a lot of mary's life is just her being moved, moved around, around for her safety yeah. yeah um okay so then in 1547 henry the eighth dies while this conflict is still kind of going on um, and, sh- like, just before his death, or maybe just after, I don't remember exactly, um, the Scottish people suffer a pretty heavy loss. And they go to the French and are like, can you please help us now? Um, 
And so, at the time, the king of France is Henry II. Great news. This is another Henry. This is not confusing at all. (laughs) Completely different, separate Henry. (laughs) Yeah, in a different country. So, Henry II of France says, we will help you. Here is what I propose we do. Your daughter, Mary, because I guess we're talking to her mom now. I don't know. I just decided. Mary, Queen of Scots, will be engaged to my son, the Dauphin, Francis. Dauphin means the person who's going to inherit the French French. It's like a it's like a prince, yeah. Right. I mean it is a prince. Francis at this point is three. Yes. This right. is the point where I know a little more of the story solely because of the yeah. television show Rain, even though I know it was not accurate. That. I, I know that it was that. not accurate. I only watched like two seasons, but it's, I recognize more of it the I, closer we get. I couldn't get past the first season because yeah. when I watched the first season, I was like, okay, I mean, they're embellishing a lot of things here, but like, I get, generally speaking, we're, we're on the right track. Yeah, I like the first at season. At the end of the first season, they just like do something a little buck wild, I feel like, and I'm like, Okay, I can't watch this anymore. Instead, yep. we've gone too far in the wrong direction. <laughs> yep. Although, what's her name who plays her is very good. And so is the guy who plays Francis. They're yes, great. he is very good. Okay, so that's what the King of France proposes. He's like, we will send you help if you basically marry off your daughter to my son. And they're like, great, that sounds like a good idea. So they write up a treaty for it. Um on in june of 1548 the french troops come on into scotland they help them out and then um in in july they officially approve the treaty and they're engaged right these two small children so she's been engaged twice (laughs) yeah as an infant at war the whole time also what is the point of signing another one of these treaties based on an engagement when they just decided never mind i don't want to do that with someone else it's like what what's the point of any of it i find it so ridiculous anyway well i guess you could make the argument that the first one they like considered illegitimate because like the person who was in charge they all were like no he wasn't really supposed to be in charge so that doesn't count Right? You know what I mean? They could logic their way to that. But anyway, so at the age of five, Mary Stewart is sent to live in France to spend the next 13 years at French court with her fiancé, basically. They're going to grow up together there and she's going to be raised by the French people. Right. This was pretty common, right? It's what Henry wanted to do. Henry wanted her to come, you know. So, Mary is sent to court with her own court, including two of her illegitimate half-brothers. Okay. And the four Marys, who are four young girls all around her age, all named Mary, uh. and all daughters of nobles in Scotland. Uh-huh. And this is, like, very... a whole thing. Like, they're her very best friends. They're with her literally her whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, the, basically these noblemen were like, send our children to, to be with her. So she'll be with, you know, people her, her people. age. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you know what it, you know what it is? Kid court, kid court, kid court, kid court. Y'all remember kid, kid court? court? This is <laughs> like for from... real kid court. Like, yes, we, we talked about kid court, but this is like for real kid court. This is a bunch of children. Mm-hmm. 
who are yes. about to be future leaders of their countries now, in court it's together. Now, it's not her entire court. <laughs> no. And also, these girls that go with her are not going to be leaders in their country. Their no, but they fathers are, in, are in and their husbands probably might will be. be. But, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's still important to the play of it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Mary is living in France. She's very popular at court among pretty much everybody except for uh, her future mother-in-law who like really doesn't like her, Um, which is like, okay, she's, you know, six, but whatever. Um, While she's there, Mary learns to play the lute and virginals. Um, She is a very good writer. She writes prose and poetry. Um, She learns falconry. (laughs) excellent and needlework and she is taught french italian latin spanish and greek and then she also speaks her native scots so she speaks a lot of languages and remember that because it's going to come back a little bit later well one of the languages not all of them so um on april 4th 1558 Mary signs a secret agreement basically saying that if she dies without producing any heirs, um, her claim to (laughs) her claim to Scotland. So her crown in Scotland, plus Mm -hmm. her claim to England, because she because she's still in the line. Yeah, she's still in the line of succession. Will transfer to the French crown if she dies and doesn't have any children. Whoa, that would have been wild. Yeah. What a wild way for them to just be like, thank you. I know, <laughs> Let me right? just scoop up those game Although, pieces. frankly, probably, I mean, it was very smart. All of that would have been safer under this contract than if she had just died and then what? Like, Scotland yes. would have been utter chaos. Yes. I mean, it kind of is anyway, but... So 20 days after she signs this treaty, she marries the Dauphin, Francis, um, at Notre Dame, and he becomes the king consort of Scotland. Right. She is the queen. Um, At the time, she's about 16 and he's about 14. Right. So they're teens. Which is really interesting to me, like, because everything you hear is that they had a pretty happy marriage, which to me says, like, these were... What I picture with them is, like, two high school kids who have just fallen in love for the first time, except that they just happen to legally be bound to each other. Like, from what I can tell from their relationship is that they really treated it like, oh, we're just kids in love, Mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. You don't get that that much. Yeah, well, and they have the perk of having, like, actually known each other for a long time mm-hmm. throughout their childhood so even if yes. they weren't in love at least they were friends because they knew each other so like if they hadn't fallen in love at least they were like friends from childhood which makes it a lot easier to they, they did grow up together which is not usually the case for mm-hmm. two kids who get married at this age for this purpose right mm-hmm. like most Especially of the time. from being from different countries, too. Like, being the representatives right. of different countries. In most cases, like, if kids are getting... They're in a contract like this, and then they get married at this age. Like, in most cases, one of them is not going to go live in the country of the other one because they're in charge of their own country already. Right. Mary isn't because she's got a regent because she's too young, right? Right. 
Okay, so then, in November of 1558, something very significant happens in England. Our girl, Elizabeth I, takes the throne. Yes. This is super important to Mary's story. It's kind of like the whole thing. Yes. (laughs) So from here on in, we're going to be talking about Elizabeth quite a bit. Okay. Um, Big conflict when Elizabeth takes the throne for several reasons. So Elizabeth has been restored to the line of succession in England. We talk a lot about that in the Tudor episodes. There was a whole thing where for a while she wasn't and then she was. I'm not going to go into that too deeply. Mm -hmm. But... This basically means that when she becomes queen, a lot of people in England, particularly the Catholics, are like, Mm-mm, no, she is not the legitimate child of Henry. She is not a legitimate tutor in the line of succession. But guess who is? Mary Stuart, because she is Margaret, the sister of the former king. She mm-hmm. is Margaret's granddaughter. Mm-hmm. So she She's still should a tutor. be on the throne. Right. Yes. Um, if Elizabeth weren't there, she would have taken the throne in England at this point. So, officially, Mary Stuart is a very big threat to Elizabeth I. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, we shall come back to. Um, (laughs) But actually, something interesting, Henry II of France, who is king at the time, um, declares you know, like Michael Scott saying he's bankrupt, that uh, his daughter-in-law, Mary Stuart, and his son, Francis, are the rightful king and queen of England. And he actually takes the seal of England and, like, intersperses it with the Scottish and English, or I mean Scottish and um, French, like, their seals. Uh-huh. And you can see it. It's like a picture of a, the seal, like, in thirds, you know? Huh. It's wild. But of course, that doesn't mean anything. He's not, he can't make them king and queen. Right. (laughs) Um, So then, on July 10th, 1559, Henry II of France dies. He dies in a jousting accident. Things just keep getting weirder, y'all. He sure does. He sure (laughs) does die in a jousting accident. It's not good. Um, And so Francis, Mary's husband, becomes Francis II, king of France. And Mary... Becomes queen of France. So now these she's are, queen of two countries. These are two, like, yeah. N- he's 15. Major, he's 15 when he becomes king. These are two, like, major, at the time, world powers. That and she two, could be the queen of a third, technically these are, speaking. these two children are in charge of. Yes, it's wild. It's wild. It's wild. So, like I said, Francis becomes king when he's 15. So technically, he's of age in France, um, but he's not really equipped, right? He's not really ready to do the work. Um, so he doesn't officially get a regent, but Mary's uncles kind of become his main advisors. Right. The, the queen. Because they were a little bit older. Yeah. And the right. queen, well, queen mother now, is super grief stricken over the loss of her husband. And she's just like, you know what? You guys take control, right? So they're helping him out. So while this is happening in Scotland, there's a big old Protestant uprising going on. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> Mary. Oh man, this this is so much. <laughs> we are not. This, this is going to be a long episode. I'm so sorry because yeah. we're still in her childhood. I'm sorry, you guys. 
Uh, so, Protestant uprising in, in Scotland. Mary's Catholic mother is trying real hard to hold on to power, but it's not really working super well. Um, the Protestant lords in Scotland have invited English troops to come in and try to secure Protestantism. Christ. It's not good. And the French can't send troops at this point because they've got their own stuff going on. Um, so what they yeah, do is Yeah, like they, the Protestants weren't doing so hot in England at this time either. No, they sure yeah, weren't. Well, it's a lot. There was a lot going on because, you know, Elizabeth's yeah. Protestant, but like Mary had just gone through her whole Catholic you know, so much is going on. So, yeah. sorry, Mary of England, not Mary. <laughs> My God, there are too many people with the da, same da, name. Da, 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 da. <laughs> That's what crazy. this is. I feel crazy. <laughs> okay, so what they do instead is they send Mary's uncles, who are helping out Francis, to go and negotiate a settlement. Um, It goes pretty, pretty well. Mary's mother ends up passing away on June 11th of 1560. Um, so when this happens, there's a treaty of Edinburgh in place and it had been signed by Mary's representatives. Um, and under this treaty, France and England withdraw from Scotland, basically. And France recognizes Elizabeth's right to rule England as part of this treaty, which Uh they hadn't before, obviously. But Mary, who's 17 at the time and still in France refuses to ratify the treaty so that's just like a little thing hanging out in the air above us all at this point and then on december 5th of 1560 francis ii mary's husband dies of a middle ear infection that had led to an abscess in his brain which is terrible Mm -hmm. and his he was very young and his Mm -hmm. 10 year old brother takes the throne and mary's mother-in-law becomes regent This is not great for Mary because Mary's mother-in-law sure does not like her. And also she's not queen of France anymore. Right. She's now just queen of Scotland. And is she still stuck in France? Yeah, but not for long. Because on August 19th, 1561, she goes back to Scotland. And now she is a Catholic queen coming into a country that is basically split into Catholic and Protestant factions. And she hasn't been there up to this point. Right. So it's not a super warm welcome. People just don't really trust her, right? And on top of that, her illegitimate, quote unquote, half-brother, I hate to say that word. Yeah. I, you know, it's technical in this sense. Um, her half-brother, the Earl of Moray, who we're just going to call Moray from now on, mm-hmm. is the leader of the Protestants, basically. Yes, he sure is. So that's not super fun. And... Enter one of the most annoying characters in history, John Knox. Oh, this fool. Protestant reformer hates Mary's guts, condemns her for hearing mass, dancing, and dressing too elaborately. Just like, bud, good luck. She's a queen. Um, He summons, or she summons him to her presence so that they can talk. And he doesn't come. Um, and then later she charges him with treason, but he is acquitted and released. Lord. They they have a whole thing. I didn't get too deep into it because, again, there's, like, so much more we have to get through here. But John Knox. He sucks. Really hated her. Like, yeah. 
I just, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, why were these men so obsessed with these young girls? I mean, I know why, but like, you're obsessed, man. Move on. It's gross. There's so many other important things to care about. (laughs) Seriously. So, what's Mary's attitude now that she's back in Scotland, right? Because she's a Catholic queen. She's actually pretty strongly in favor of religious tolerance in Scotland. Um, Just she, letting people do their thing. Exactly. Um, but the Which, Catholics, again, if you're thinking about the context around you, has not been the thing in England for a while, which I'm right. sure bleeds over into that, thinking about Ireland, too, is having the same issue at well, the same time. You know, like... It's so interesting, too, because that I think that's what Elizabeth I in England also wanted. Yes, at the but s- couldn't same accomplish. time, because they had both just come from parents who were such extremists yeah. or from people before them who were such right. extremists right. that were causing so much trouble that they both were like, okay, we're done fighting now. But all the people who were still fighting were like, no, we want to keep fighting. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So like you say, the Catholic faction didn't like that she was cool with the Protestants. Right. Yeah. But still she, um, she pretty much stood her ground. Her privy council, which was made up of 16 men, um, had several Protestants in it. And in fact, it was kind of dominated by the Protestant leaders of the Reformation. Um, and which is she also did... popping off right now. The Reformation, yes. another piece of context for this. <laughs> yeah. Um, only four of her counselors are Catholic at this point. Um, and one of the Protestant ones is her half-brother, Moray. So he's in the mix. Oh, boy. So a lot of people believe, and they're probably right, that um, Mary's main focus at this point is the potential of her getting England, right? Like, she's trying to appease the Protestants in England and say, I'm not going to kick you out, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And they're they're probably right. I mean, she's not stupid. And while and she a has a, people, a pretty solid claim, too, she has a so. strong claim. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times when we portray Mary Stewart, we portray her as this like, oh, no, no, I just want Scotland. I don't care. I'm just, you know, I'm not going to bother with Elizabeth. I'm not trying to hurt Elizabeth. And I don't think she was trying to hurt Elizabeth, but I do think that she was like keeping her eye on things like she's not dumb. She could have yeah. that power. Right. Yeah. Um, in fact... She sends um, William Maitland of, nope, Lethington, sorry if I said that wrong, um, as an ambassador to the English court to basically present the case to Elizabeth that Mary should be Elizabeth's heir presumptive, right? right. If Elizabeth doesn't have kids, Mary should get the throne because she's she is technically next in line. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth doesn't want to name a potential heir um, because she is very paranoid that this will spark um, conspiracies and plots to remove her. She's probably right mm-hmm. um, because they, she thinks, well, if I name an heir, people are going to start coming after me so that that person can then take the throne. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there are arrangements made in like 1561, possibly early 1562 for, um, the, for them to meet Elizabeth and Mary um, in England. But there's a little something going on in France at the time, like the Civil War. So she calls it off. She's like, that seems like maybe more important. So 
that's on hold. Oh my god, we're so, we're not even close to being done. I'm so sorry, you guys. This is going to be a long episode. So, what's the focus now? Mary needs a husband again because her husband is gone. She needs to produce children. Um, so they're starting to look into other European royalty to be potentially her husband. Um, her uncle, the Cardinal of Lorraine, starts negotiations with Archduke Charles of Austria, but he does this without her consent, and she is like, absolutely not, not interested. So that one goes bye-bye. <laughs> she tries to negotiate a marriage to Don Carlos, who is um, the heir apparent of King Philip II of Spain. Right. Um, Don Carlos is not super stable at the time um and philip is like no no that that's not gonna happen gonna <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to be a part of this right now <laughs> philip shuts it down um which is what i wrote in my notes philip shuts <laughs> it down and um elizabeth gets in the mix elizabeth the first she's like "Ooh, maybe i can make this work for me so she starts to um suggest people in england for her to marry to hopefully like neutralize her a little bit right um, she wants her, she suggests that she marry the English Protestant Robert Dudley, who is the first Earl of Leicester. Um, he, um, is one of Elizabeth's, what we call favorites, right? She yes. likes him. Um, and she thought, I can control him, and if she marries him, I can control Mary, right? Right. Um, but that it just comes to nothing. Um, the Robert Dudley's just not interested. What is what it comes down to? Right? Sure. He doesn't want to, which is fair. So then, on February seventeenth of fifteen sixty five, Mary meets her English half cousin Henry Stuart, Lord Darnley. We're gonna call him Darnley from now on. Okay. Um, they had met before. We're briefly. gonna get rid of one of the Henrys by calling <laughs> yeah, him Darnley I can't. instead. But everything else refers to him as Darnley. That's just like, you know, yeah. that's the thing, right? Um, they had met before, like, when they were younger, but only briefly. And she was in mourning at the time because her husband had just died. So nothing really happened. But when they meet for the second time, Mary is in. She's interested. She likes this guy. So on July 29th of 1565, so not very long after, mm-hmm. they are married. Um, she's 23 and he's around 19. Okay, I say around because we don't know when he was born. Okay. Um, all we know is that's as about as old as he was reported, like, at the time they were married. So he becomes king consort of Scotland, which in a moment we will come back to. The fact that he is king consort and not king. Um, okay, so... Like I said, Darnley is English. So Elizabeth's advisors are kind of in on this marriage they kind of make it happen behind the scenes right but despite that fact elizabeth feels pretty threatened by their marriage because if they have children oh now they both have strong claims and their children have strong claims to the right family. because they're both both, they're both members of the marriage are tudors they're both descendants of margaret tudor right so they both have very strong claims to the english throne um so that's what's going on so not only is elizabeth unhappy about this marriage but mary's half-brother 
the Protestant Moray, mm-hmm. um, is n- also not happy about this marriage. Um, because Darnley is also Catholic. So now there are two Catholics in power. He doesn't right. like this, right? So a full rebellion kicks off, led by her half-brother. Cool. Mary, on August 26, 1565, goes to Edinburgh to confront them. Um, it's a, Moray just is not doing super hot. He fails to take Edinburgh Castle. Um, it just doesn't go well for him. (laughs) So she eventually, um, she raises more troops. This conflict is called the chase about raid because they're (laughs) basically just chasing each other back and forth to and from Edinburgh and never engaging in battle. Uh Uh-huh. Um, it's very weird. Um, but eventually Moray loses support and he leaves Scotland, um, and seeks asylum in England. Don't worry. He's not there for very long. He will return. (laughs) So what else happens in this marriage? You may ask big things, baby. It's about to get very dramatic again. (laughs) Darnley is getting fed up. He doesn't like the fact that he's king consort and not king of Scotland. Because as king consort, he gets the title, but none of the privileges or power. He does not like that. He wants to be a co-sovereign of mm-hmm. Scotland. And Mary says, no. <laughs> so basically he's saying, if I outlive you, I want to be king. And Mary says, absolutely not. That's not going to happen. Um, Despite the fact that they are not happy with each other at this point. Mary does conceive by October of 1565. So, it's about to get a little bit gross for the first but not last time, so I'm just going to give a little bit of a warning right now. This is not, it's not pretty, what's about to happen. Okay. Darnley is very jealous of this friendship that Mary has with her private secretary, who is a Catholic, named David Rizzio. There are a lot of rumors that Rizzio is actually the father of her child. Um, No way to prove it, obviously. But he either thinks that or has convinced himself that enough people think it that it's acceptable to do something about this guy. Right? Uh Uh-huh. So, by March of 1566, Darnley has entered into a secret conspiracy with the Protestant lords in Scotland, including a lot of the um, nobles who had rebelled against Mary in this previous chase about raid that we were just talking about. Oh, my (sighs) God. So, on March 9th, this group of conspirators, um, including her husband called them all to dinner at Holyrood Palace and they murder Rizzio and force Mary to watch <gasps> while she's pregnant, potentially with his child. Oh my gosh. It's rough. That, that is, is so rough. To that me. is like a seed straight out of Macbeth. You know, like that is yes. full Scottish drama. Oh my god! Like we thought the English were harsh, but this is harsh. The like, this Scottish is very are intense. Harsh. Yeah. So this causes chaos. And over the next two days, Darnley is like, he switches sides. He's like, oh no, 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 no. I shouldn't have done this. And they invite her half-brother, Moray, to come back 
He comes back into Scotland and he basically gets them out, right? Wow. Um, and this so is they. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. So they leave because there are conspirators there who potentially could harm her now. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. I shouldn't have done this because now, she, you know, she's in danger. The kid's in danger. This is bigger than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was just going to get rid of this guy that I didn't like, right? Mm-hmm. So they get out of Hollywood and they go to Dunbar Castle. Um, eventually they do go back to Edinburgh on March 18th. Um, and so, but this is just a whole like spiel of trauma that she goes through while she's pregnant. It's crazy. But then on June 19th of 1566, Mary gives birth to a son, our boy, James. We have a whole episode on James. Oh, he was so weird. I love that man. He's so weird. weird. Very weird. Um, but okay, so she gives birth. Um, and then in October of 1566, something kind of interesting happens. This isn't super important, but I just thought the story was kind of interesting. So Mary um, is staying at Jedburgh, which is um, like in the Scottish borders, right? She is staying there. She goes on a trip. She goes to visit a friend of hers who had been injured and he was ill and so she was visiting him and then she comes back and when she returns she gets very sick and i actually did not know about this illness when i was reading about it um she this says she suffers a serious illness that included frequent vomiting loss of sight loss of speech convulsions and periods of unconsciousness and they they thought she was dying um but she does recover. She has a lot of French doctors around her and they, you, they're largely credited with basically saving her life. Um, they're not really sure what it is. Um, this says potential diagnoses include physical exhaustion and mental stress, stress, hemorrhage of a gastric ulcer or porf- porphyria, which I never know how to pronounce, which is basically like a, a liver issue. Wow. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. Huh. I didn't know that. So, back to the whole marriage craziness, because it's about to get crazier, even crazier in this marriage. So, in November November of 1566, Mary meets with many of the nobles in Scotland to discuss, quote, the problem of Darnley. They discuss potential divorce, but that's not a great solution, because they're both Catholic. It's not, we've all seen what happens when the divorce comes to the throne. So, it's not a great solution. Darnley knows this is happening. He knows they're talking about him. And he fears for his safety. So just after their son is baptized, he leaves and he goes to Glasgow to stay on his father's estates. Um, while he's traveling, he gets very sick with a fever. Um, possibly smallpox. Um, I think it's most widely accepted that it was probably syphilis. Mm. Um, which only added to the rumors that James was not his son because, um, Mary didn't have syphilis. Right. Right. Um, but anyway, he's very sick while he's staying with his father. In January of 1567, Mary asks her husband to come back. She's like, come back to Edinburgh. We'll take care of you here. So he returns and he's staying in a nearby house of some lords, um, while he continues to recover. And while he's there, Mary goes to visit him every day so that to the outside world, it looks like, oh, they're reconciling. They're getting back to Mm -hmm. a good place. 
And then the night of February 9th, you know, into the morning of the 10th occurs. Here's what happens. Mary visits her husband, Darnley, in the evening. And then she goes to attend wedding celebrations of like a member of her noble household. Okay. And then in the early hours of the morning, there's an explosion at the residence where he's staying. Oh. And his body is found dead in the garden in the morning. No, No signs of struggle or strangulation. It looked like he was, like, suffocated from, you know, the results of the explosion. Oh. Like he was Um, trying to get out and had, and just died on his way. Yeah, probably. Wow. So lots of people are implicated in a conspiracy to bring about his death. Mm Mm-hmm. Including Mary. Right. Um, and Mary's half-brother, Moray, who's, I guess, back in the good in graces the fold. of Mary at yeah. this point. And an interesting player, the Earl of Bothwell, who we will refer to as Bothwell going forward. There were some rumors leading up to this that Mary and Bothwell had entered into an affair, but there was, like, no proof of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the end of February of that year, it was generally accepted that Bothwell was responsible for this assassination. Um, Darnley's father, um, demands that Bothwell be tried and Mary agrees, but it's so like, it's not real. You know Uh what I mean? Um, there's no real evidence presented and he's acquitted after a seven-hour trial um, on the 12th of April. And then a week after his trial, Bothwell convinces two dozen lords and bishops to sign the Ansley Tavern Bond, which is all of them agreeing to support his aim to marry the queen. Wow, okay. So there's a lot of, again, rumors. It's like hard to know. Did Mary know about this? Was she in support of it? Were they having an affair? We don't really know. There, You can make an argument for either, I think. Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't think she was as in on that part of the plan. Uh-huh. You know, but that's just me. So, between April 21st and 23rd, Mary goes to visit her son, James, at Sterling, which is where he's, you know, being brought up. And this will be the last time that she visits him. The last time she sees him, really. Oh, James, he had some yeah. issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had a this lot of... This probably um, was a big part of it. Yeah, he had a lot of parental <laughs> um, yeah. problems. Not great. Not great. So after this visit, she's on her way back to Edinburgh on April 24th, and she's abducted by Lord Bothwell and his men and taken to Dunbar Castle. Again, some people think she knew this was going to happen. Some people don't. Hard to say. Um, But he may or may not have assaulted her. Oh, wow. Yeah. Depending on on whether or not she knew this was happening, you know? Uh Uh-huh. Um, so she's been taken by these people. And then on May 6th, they all return to Edinburgh together. So she's there with them for quite some time. And on May 15th, Mary is married to Bothwell. 
according to Protestant rites. Wow. She is not Protestant. Um, and on top of that, Bothwell was married before this, and he and his wife, Jean Gordon, had divorced 12 days before the wedding. Wow. Of, Mary, of Bothwell to Mary. Wow. So, for this reason, a lot of Catholics don't consider this marriage to be lawful because they don't recognize Bothwell's divorce in the first place or the fact that it was a Protestant service. They don't call that valid. Mm-hmm. But everybody is shocked that she married this person that was accused of murdering her previous husband. Right. So Mary starts to get pretty unhappy. I mean, she may have been to begin with, but she's pretty unhappy at this point. And then the Confederate lords in Scotland turn against Mary and and Bothwell. So he's not even getting the support from the Protestants at this point. They're, they turn against both of them. Wow. And they, they raise an army. And on June 15th, Mary and Bothwell go to Carberry Hill to confront them. Um, there's no battle um, because Mary's support is quickly dwindling during the um, negotiations. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are just deserting. They're just deserting her during the negotiations. Right. Bothwell is given safe passage through the field. He gets to just leave. Um, and then Mary is taken by the lords to Edinburgh. Um, lots of spectators are there calling her an adulteress and a murderer at this point. And she's imprisoned in Loch Levin Castle, which is on an island in the middle of Loch Levin. Yeah. So while she's there between July 20th and 23rd, she miscarries twins. Oh, God. So she had become pregnant, you know, by Bothwell at this point. And uh-huh. she miscarries twins, which is sad. And then, do you remember the dates I just said? July 20th through 23rd, she miscarries twins. And then on July 24th, she is forced to abdicate in favor of her one-year-old son, James. And her half-brother, Moray, becomes his regent. Uh Uh-huh. So, again, we got another kid on the throne, another regent. Oh, man. James. Oh, James. Yeah. Bothwell, by the way, is exiled and imprisoned in Denmark, and then he eventually dies there in 1578, and it apparently he, like, goes nuts. He, like, completely becomes insane. He yeah. dies there. Okay, so, she's been deposed. Yes. On May 2nd of 1568, she escapes Loch Levin, um, with the help of George Douglas, who is the brother of the owner of the castle Ooh. that she's in which she's being imprisoned. Twist. She escapes, right? She manages to raise an army of 6,000 men. And she comes in contact with Moray's forces, much smaller. um, And they fight in the Battle of Langside on May 13th. She loses. She flees south to England, um, (laughs) where she's picked up by a fishing boat. And then... (laughs) She she ends up eventually getting to Carlisle Castle and she's in protective custody, right? 
Apparently, Mary expects that Elizabeth is going to help her regain the Scottish throne, which is like, mm, I don't know why you expect her to do that for you, but here we are. Um, Elizabeth is like, mm, I'm not sure. Right? She doesn't want to... Elizabeth is always very wishy-washy on Mary. Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't want to totally throw her under the bus because that would look very bad for one queen to depose another queen, right. basically. That would not be good. So she's a little wishy-washy on it, and she decides that she's not going to make a decision until she knows, uh, until there's been an inquiry as to whether or not Mary was guilty of the assassination of her previous husband, Darnley. Mm. So, in mid-July of 1568, she's moved, Mary is moved to Bolton Castle, because it's further from the Scottish border, but it's not too close to London, so (laughs) she's not too close to Elizabeth, and she's not too close to Scotland. (laughs) Um, a commission, um, is put into place. It's held in York, um, to determine her guilt between October of 1568 and January of 1569. By the way, meanwhile, in Scotland, her supporters are literally fighting a civil war against her half-brother and his successors. So they're all fighting over there. Oh, man. So Mary says... Hey, I'm an anointed queen. You have no right to try me. There's no power here for you to try me for a crime. Um, So she refuses to go to York for the inquiry, but she sends representatives. Um, Elizabeth didn't want her to go anyway, so that works (laughs) out, I guess. So here's something interesting. Remember how I said her speaking French was kind of going to loop back around here? Oh, okay. Okay. So as evidence against Mary... Her half-brother, who has come to be part of the inquiry, presents the, something that we refer to as the casket letters. These are eight unsigned letters that were apparently from Mary to Bothwell. Two marriage contracts a, and a love sonnet are included, right? Um, they were said to have been found in a silver gilt casket. Um, just less than one foot long and decorated with the monogram of King Francis II. Like they're trying to say this is proof. Um, Mary denies that these are real. She says they were forged. And this is a really big point of contention for historians still, whether these were real or not. Uh Uh-huh. Because it's widely believed that her son James destroyed most of the original copies. Um, The originals were in French. So the copies that we have now, um, a lot of people argue that the French grammar was not good enough to have been written by her ah. because she spoke French so well. Fluently, they were like, right? No, this is not, no way. So point of contention. Interesting. Um, you know, that's just an interesting tidbit of the history mm-hmm. of the trial. But basically what happens is that Elizabeth is pretty, again, wishy-washy. She doesn't know whether she should convict or acquit Mary. She eventually decides, um, you know, we can't prove one way or the other, right? And they just let it go. It's a very weird trial where, like, basically just nothing happens. Yeah. Would be a really bad political move for Elizabeth to convict Mary at this point of this. Mm Mm-hmm. But also not a great move to acquit her either. No. 
So she's not just... saying she's innocent, but she's not saying she's guilty. <laughs> Maury goes back to Scotland and Mary stays in England and she's technically still in custody because she's, you know, fleeing from her country where uh-huh. she was previously imprisoned. On January 26th of 1569, Mary is moved to Tutbury Castle and she's placed in the custody of the Earl of Shrewsbury and his wife, Bess of Hardwick. Um, she is allowed to move between Shrewsbury's properties, but she is like confined to those properties. She has her own domestic staff. She has a chef. It takes several wagons to move all her dresses every time she wants to move between the places. Um, she is allowed outside sometimes under strict supervision. She spends most of her time doing, doing embroidery. Her health is not good during this time. Um, Mostly from, like, a lack of exercise. She doesn't do anything. Um, And, okay, so that's where we are with Mary at this moment. In May of 1569, Elizabeth attempts to mediate Mary, uh, her restoration, back into the line of succession um, in exchange for guarantees of Protestantism in England. Mm. Um. But a convention rejects it. Um, The Duke of Norfolk, remember that guy? The worst. Wants to marry Mary Stuart. But Elizabeth is like, absolutely not. And she imprisons him in the Tower of London for this. Not forever, but for a while. And then in 1570, Mary's half-brother, Moray, is assassinated. Oh, man. And around the same time... There is a rebellion in the north of England led by Catholics. This really solidifies to Elizabeth that Mary is a very big threat, more than before. So after this, lots of different plots are starting to be uncovered to unseat Elizabeth and put Mary on the throne of England. Uh, The Rodolfi plot is uncovered in 1571. Um, our our dude, the Duke of Norfolk, is implicated in this plot. Uh-huh. Um, and as a result of all of this, Norfolk is executed, if you Oof. remember from our other episode. I think we talked about that. Um, and English Parliament brings about a bill barring Mary from ascending to the throne of England. Right? Uh-huh. Um, as a result of other plots that were uncovered, they bring about the Act for the Queen's Safety which basically means that if anyone is found to have plotted against Elizabeth, um, they could they could kill that person, right? Um, so we're getting there, guys. Sorry. In 1584, Mary actually proposes what she calls an association with her son, James. She says, I'll stay in England. I'll renounce the Pope's bull of excommunication which is huge. And I'll retire. I won't make any claims to any crowns at any point. Um, She also offers to join an offensive league against France. Big flip. She's getting Ooh, desperate. Yeah. And for Scotland, she asks for a general amnesty um, and agrees that James... Can marry with Elizabeth's knowledge, which means Elizabeth will approve of whomever James chooses to marry. Okay. Right? And she says there will be no change in religion. Right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, her only real condition is that she wants some of the um, conditions of her captivity to be lifted. That's it. That's all she really wants. Mm-hmm. For herself. And at first, James is like, cool, I'm in. But then eventually he flips. And he throws his mom under the bus and he signs an alliance treaty with Elizabeth and abandons his mom. And Elizabeth is like, I'm not down with this because you're not going to stop plotting against me. You're just not. She doesn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Here we go. We're going to wrap up soon. I promise you guys. This is like the big culmination of the story. Mm-hmm. On August 11th of 1586, Mary is implicated in the Babington plot, which is a plot to assassinate Elizabeth. Um, she's arrested while she's out riding and she's taken to Tixel Hall in Stratfordshire. Um, so how they got her was that her letters were basically smuggled out of the residence where she was staying. She thought her letters were perfectly safe and they basically snagged them and got them out and Mm. the letters implicated her. Mm -hmm. Um, so Mary is moved to fathering a castle, um, in a four day journey that ends on September 25th. And in October, she's put on trial for treason under that act um, for the queen's safety. Right. Um, she, she's very spirited in her defense. She denies all the charges. And then I really like this quote from her that I heard in, um, like, everything I read about her people pointed out this quote. And I was so down with it. So she says in front of the court. Look to your consciences and remember that the theater of the whole world is wider than the kingdom of England. So true. And she also argues that she can't be tried for treason because she is not an English citizen. Right. But despite that, on October 25th, 1586, Mary is convicted of treason and she's sentenced to death. Um, Elizabeth again can't really commit one way or the other and she's really hesitant to sign her order of execution um she really thinks that the killing of a queen would set a dangerous precedent Uh right um and she really fears that there's going to be strong retaliation from the catholics On February 1st of 1587, Elizabeth does sign the death warrant, and she entrusts it to a privy counselor named William Davison. Um, A lot of people say that she actually, there is like, you know, a story that she actually thought she was signing something else. Oh, yeah. But I don't really believe that's true, you know. On February 3rd, 1587, 10 members of the Privy Council of England without Elizabeth's knowledge, um, decide to carry out the sentence, like, immediately, like, at once, like, Mm -hmm. as soon as possible. So, Mary is not informed that she is now to be executed until the night before. Oh, good. On February 7th, she's told you're going to be executed tomorrow morning. Man. So she spends the night in prayer. She distributes her belongings. She writes a will. She writes a letter to the King of France. And then on the morning of the execution, she walks out and she 
um, is helped out of her outer garments. And she is wearing a velvet petticoat and a pair of sleeves in crimson brown, the liturgical color of martyrdom in the Catholic Church. Ooh. With a black satin, satin bodice and black trimmings. Ooh. A moment. She is blindfolded with like a, like white, it's got like gold on it. It's like very, hmm, uh-huh. very fancy. Uh-huh. Um, her last words are in Latin. I'm not going to say them in Latin because I don't know how to pronounce them, but it translates to into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. Um, and again, okay, we're going to talk about, you know, execution by beheading. So it's going to get gross here for a minute again. Um she is not beheaded in a single strike. Oh, you hate it. You hate the f- when the guy can't do his one job. It's bad. You hate the f- when the guy can't do his one job. The first one misses her neck and strikes the back oh, of her head. Oh, no. Oh, it's terrible. Um, Sorry, you guys. It's just, it's interesting. I feel like we need to know, but it's gross. Uh, the second does sever her neck except for a small bit of sinew. Eh. That he, the executioner, then has to cut through using the axe. Um, after he, I just th- find this so interesting. I don't know why. It's, again, kind of gross. But he holds up her head and says, God save the queen. And then, um, whoopsie, the head drops, but the hair does not, revealing that she was wearing a wig. And her hair had turned gray and was very you know, cut super short. I just find that interesting. I don't know why. I just, you have, as the executioner, you have literally one job. And it is Well, that's why this didn't stick around. It's so inhumane and so not. It's sharp and you do it once. And, you know. It's bad. You know, say what you will about the guillotine, but at least it did its job. Oh, I guess. Yeah. It's awful. Oh. Um, Contemporary accounts say that all of her clothing, the block, and everything touched by her blood was burnt in the fireplace of the Great Hall of the Castle to stop relic hunters because people would just grab at stuff. Right. You know? Um, When the news of the execution reached Elizabeth, because remember, they expedited it without her permission. So she didn't know until it was was done. Um, And she says that Davison, the privy council member who took the death warrant um disobeyed her and she had told him not to part with the warrant we you know we're i'm not ready yet and so she's saying no 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 he he disobeyed me he disobeyed me which basically gives her plausible deniability uh-huh. right to say no 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 that's not on my hands i told him to wait Right. Yeah, but I wasn't still, so sure. But, but, but girl, you, you signed, signed it. it and you I know. It was going to happen a week later. Like, So what does she do? She throws Davison into the Tower of London. Girl loves that place. I know, well, hello. They all do. Um, Mary had requested to be buried in France, but Elizabeth did not let that happen. Um, instead... Her body was embalmed and left in a secure lead coffin um, until her burial in a Protestant service, oh which again God. feels insulting. Yeah. At Peterborough well, Cathedral. In France, you give her a Protestant service. Come on, guys. It's the Protestant service for me. Like, yeah. come on, she's Catholic. 
Um, but she is, her service takes place at Peterborough Castle, or I'm sorry, Cathedral in July of 18, or I'm sorry, 1587. Wow, we're almost there. Um, again, a little gross here. I'm sorry. Her entrails, which were removed as part of the embalming process, were buried secretly within fathering a castle. For why? Why? I don't know. Okay. Um, and then in 1612, her body's actually exhumed when her son orders that she be reinterred at Westminster Abbey. Um, so he says, no, no, you're going to put her in Westminster Abbey instead. So they move her in a chapel opposite the tomb of Elizabeth, which is mm. like some cruel irony. Uh-huh. I feel like. Um, and then I just found this interesting because I didn't know. In 1867, her tomb is actually reopened um, in an attempt to find the resting place of her son. Right. Um, but he was ultimately found with Henry the seventh. Right. Oh, man. So that was a lot. I know it was a long one, but there's so much that happens it's a, in it's her a life. It's a fascinating story. Um, yeah. Mary, wow. And a lot of it just, like, happened to her, right? Yeah. Like, there was this big debate with Mary, historically, was it, like... Was she bad or were her circumstances just that awful? It's, like, hard to know, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, I, I mean, she came into a very similar situation that Elizabeth did where she Absolutely. inherited this war that she had no interest in, right? She didn't want yes. to be a part of that Protestant Catholic conflict, but then it defined her entire reign. The girls should have stuck together. Yeah. It, the they girls both should have the, come together and been like, you screwed us both in interest. a big way. Yeah, yeah absolutely. that no longer being a thing, it's just that... Elizabeth fell to the Protestant side and Mary fell to the Catholic. And even though they. Well, and and look at the history of Elizabeth's life. Like she was so paranoid because of what happened to her mother and then what happened to her that, I mean, it makes sense that she was so fearful of Mary. But you just wish, like, I wish you would have made the other decision. Yeah. Right? Because the two of you could have done some damage together. And interestingly right? enough, I think the other decision still would have ended with James getting both thrones. Yes. You know, like had they settled on some sort of alliance, it would have ended the same way. But here's the other thing. Would it have ended with James? No. uh, Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Well, I guess he was. I don't know. That was the next husband after Francis. It was. But if she weren't so freaked out and trying to intercede, would she have married Darnley? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So. It's very weird how the course of history could have changed if these two women hadn't just been, like, pitted against each other their yeah. whole lives. That's really sad. Her yeah. story's sad. I, I always find it, it sad. It is really sad. But I'm fascinated with Mary. So mm-hmm. That's a good I hope one. you guys liked that episode. Sorry it was such a long one. But I feel like we've had shorter ones Yeah, recently, we haven't had so. a long one in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's always one of mine. That's, like, a crazy long with all the royalty and... There's just so much backstory, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, next month is Black History Month, so I feel like we'll probably do something yeah. related to that. We usually do, yeah, um, or try to if we remember what you know what time is. And what yes, because yeah. we our brains. Yeah, you just said that, so and I went, "Oh my god, it is almost February." Almost and February, it I know. Is Black History Month, yes, I know. So that's what I'm saying. Like, we don't always remember it's February, um, but w- we do this time. So hopefully it'll be something um, around that. Um, 
But if any of you have suggestions for topics or if you have questions, comments, etc., etc., you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at RTTPod. Uh, we would really love it if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Woo! Huh, beefy one. I was talking for a really long time. Yeah, so you said sorry. so many words today. <laughs> I know. I feel like I was talking really fast because I was like, there's so much to get through. <laughs> but we got but there. I just, I had to, there, you know, and there's stuff I left out because uh-huh. that's how it is. But here we are. We made it to the end. We did it. And until next time. Remember that time. Remember that time.